we've spent a, a fair bit of time in Ephesians already and really great to be looking at the richness. Paul spends so much time going through the richness of what our faith is. That prayer about, you know, the depths of love, the, the, the depths of forgiveness, like all the, the beginnings of this wonderful faith in which we can put trust in Jesus. It's, it's all unpacked in, in chapters 1 to 3. And then we're shifting gear slightly. As we, as we shift gear, this is the story that sprang to mind for me this week. And I have permission, but it's probably good that Alyssa's not in the room. So um, a number of years ago, we've been in our house for 12 or 13 years. And very early on, um, one day I was, you know, doing the whole cleaning thing as you go through the house. And I get to the, the toilet door of the kids' toilet and written on the wall in small letters is B A Y E. And I, I immediately pressed a button. It's like, why are you getting out, uh, I think it was a texter, pencil, texter, details are fuzzy. But it was written right there, clear as day. I'm like, come on, I've taught you guys better than this. For those who don't know, and I think you all do, our youngest son is Bay, right? So that's just to put it in context. So I go to said child, I'm sure other children can hear, Raph and I, I'm sure, sat him down and said, are you allowed to write your name on the toilet wall? No. He was like five. No. Well, why did you do it? Oh, I didn't, I didn't do it. I didn't write my name on the toilet wall. Well, of course you did. Be come and have a look. We drag him in there. Come and have a look. B-A-Y-E. Why would you do that? I didn't do it. Hasn't, have, we've all done this, haven't we? You lied. No, I didn't. You didn't do that job you were asked to. I did. You know, your immediate thing is defence. I, I did or I didn't. It's, it's just instinct. I, I, I didn't do it. I didn't write my name on the toilet wall. I'm sorry, mate, but you need a punishment. You have written your name on the toilet wall. That is not how we operate in this family. And here's the punishment, which I can't remember now. Details are fuzzy. We moved on probably five years later. Probably five long years later, we're sitting at the table and I think the topic had come up about people denying things they'd done. Oh, remember when Bay denied that he'd written his name on the toilet wall? And he goes, I didn't write my name on the toilet wall. And Alyssa goes, oh yeah, that was me. What? I mean, he's not prone to violence, but I'm sure he was ready to lash out at that moment. We're like, hang on, this is five years later. Why are you admitting it now? I don't know. It was a fun thing to do. It was fun to watch him get in trouble. <laughs> She's a delightful girl. She's out there colouring in with kids. Yes, she is with your kids. This is the kind of influence Alyssa might be. She just thought that was fantastic and she held on to that for five years. Some of us have held on to things in our lives for a lot longer. Some of us have behaved in ways that we know aren't right, we've done things we shouldn't do, we've, we've done the wrong thing that we, we, sh we know better but we've, we've just done it. We've just gone out and done that thing we shouldn't have done and what's more, we've done an Alyssa. I don't want that to become a thing, by the way. But we've done an Alyssa. We've gone, no, nah, no, nah, that wasn't me. 
I don't do that. And we walk into church on a Sunday morning. No, no, this, this, is, this is me. I, I present well. Now, I'm not saying we're a bunch of deceptive people like Alyssa. <laughs> Sorry, I take all that back. She's a delight. But we often can present a version of ourselves that we think is acceptable. For five long years, Alyssa presented a version of herself and of the truth that wasn't quite there. But what we read as we open up Ephesians 4, she was quite pleased I was telling that story, by the way. She may not be pleased when she chooses to look back on live stream. But anyway, what we see as we look at these instructions on Christian living, that's the little title I've got in my Bible here. So we look at instructions on Christian living, we see very much this idea of what we should be putting off and what we should be putting on. If you've got Ephesians there, open it up because it's worth following along and not just trusting that what I'm saying is right. For those, it starts in verse 17, for those who haven't yet stepped into this life of faith, they're called Gentiles, but it's anyone who doesn't believe, hasn't chosen to follow Jesus. It says that they've decided, you know what, I will do whatever I want to do, whenever I want to do it, however I want to do it. It starts off by talking about the people who aren't following along with this great truth we've read in Ephesians 1 to 3. And it sounds good, doesn't it? It says that these people are doing whatever, however, whatever they choose to do. And while that sounds good, even to us sitting here trying to, you know, obediently follow Jesus, sometimes we can go, gee, it'd be nice to just do what you want, when you want, and not be worried about what the rules and regulations say. And yet when you unpack that, what does that look like? I'll eat KFC all day, every day, and then feel absolutely disgusting. I will have multiple sexual partners throughout my life because I can do whatever I want and that does not end well. We know that rules and regulations and guidelines and boundaries are actually the best thing for us. That's why we have personal trainers because we know that just sitting around doing whatever we feel like doing is not the healthiest and best thing for us. So Paul's unpacking here that there are people who go out and do whatever they want but it's actually, it leads to a very, very unhealthy lifestyle. And this one example is this insatiable um, lust, the, the, the love of possessing. So it talks about greed and the word there is phleonexia, which I'm probably pronouncing incorrectly. But in Greek, that's talking about an arrogant greediness. That doesn't sound so attractive, does it? Doing whatever you want, however you want to do it, whenever you want to do it. That's greed and arrogance and that is very much condemned. So, if that's not how you're going to live, if you accept the beautiful truth of Ephesians 1 to 3, what should we be doing? And then we've got the put off and put on. So, you'll, we read it earlier. It says put off. So, we'll put that in this column. Put off the old self, verse 22. Put on the new self pretty clear, isn't it? Very broad, good way to start. Verse 25, put off falsehood. So put off that sense of saying what's going to be convenient and is probably a lie and put on speaking truth to your neighbour. The list goes on, put off sinning while you're angry. Notice it doesn't necessarily there, it does say it a bit further on, it doesn't say that anger is a sin, 
it says to put off anger later on, but there's nowhere indicated anger is a sin, but what you do when you're angry is important. So in your anger, don't sin, put that off and instead put on forgiveness. Put off stealing, put on working so that you can provide for yourself. And it's interesting, it notes not only for yourself, but provide for others. So put off stealing, put on working and providing for others. Put off unwholesome talk. So when you're sitting around at the office or at school or wherever you might be and everyone's about the boss or about a colleague or about a friend or about that person who doesn't think the same way as everybody else, put off the unwholesome talk, put off the slandering, put off those things which are not helpful about speaking about other people and put on helpful and insightful speech. When we were doing internship at Youth Dimension many years ago, we had to actually learn by rote. I, I thought we were past the whole memory verse memorization, but it's so helpful. We had to memorize Ephesians 4:29, and I'm sure Raf can still do it. I, however, cannot. Put off unwholesome talk, put on helpful and insightful speech. And then there's a, a slightly longer list. Put off this side, put off, get rid of. Make sure it's not a part of your life. Bitterness, rage, anger, brawling. I mean, I know you all love a brawl on a Saturday night. Put off slander, put off malice, right? Long list. Then put on kindness, compassion and forgiveness. It's a pretty long list. It's a pretty long list of things that we need to put off and things we need to put on. Now, I'll tell you where I think sometimes churches have gotten this round the wrong way as we discuss who we should be and how we should act. It's a cart and horse thing. You put the cart before the horse when you say that living like this makes you a Christian or that living like this is about what being a churchgoer is about. Putting off certain things and putting on other things, living, living this side, did I get around that wrong way? Living in this side, putting on all these things, those do not in any way, shape or form make you a follower and a believer of Jesus. Now, I know that's an obvious statement to people who've been in the church a long time, who've been in faith a long time, but somehow we seem to put the cart before the horse fairly consistently. Somehow, we forget that Ephesians 1 to 3 is all about what Jesus has done, all about that sense of works can't save you. Only Jesus can do that. And yet, sometimes we look at a person, my mum's a classic for this and I love my mum, but if she looks at someone and they're very nice and kind, she says, they must be a Christian. Because that's, that's the, the assumption that we... She might be right. She was convinced Grant Daniel was a Christian because he was just such a nice man. <laughs> he might be, I don't know. I don't know. We saw him at the airport one day and I'm nudging mum and she totally missed it. She, she was cut, by the way. She loves Grant Daniel. But we tend to look at people who behave a certain way and this, this is not without some justification and think they must be a Christian. Now, here's the danger of going with the cart before the horse. If we start to build up this idea 
that people who act a certain way, they've put off and they've put on, we start, we can easily start to think, I need to constantly say I've arrived. I need to constantly portray the fact that I've gotten rid of this and this is who I am. Trouble with that? None of us have arrived. So when we're putting off and putting on, it's a process, isn't it? The, the truth of the gospel, the, the amazing revelation of who God is and what he's done and what Jesus did on the cross, what we remembered this morning, is that he did it. We didn't do it. And so when we say we need to, in light of that, we need to put off and we need to put on, sometimes we can convince ourselves that, that we've arrived because we have to have arrived. We're part of this community. We are Southern Cross or we are that church or that church. And throughout history, you see it time and time and time again that you won't be accepted in a particular faith community until you've arrived. So I better gosh darn show that I've arrived. And there, my friends, is hypocrisy. When we say we've arrived, when we sell the fact that we've arrived, when we put on our mask, and I'm not talking about these ones, and step into church and say, I've arrived, we haven't arrived. We just haven't. And so then we start to tuck things under the, you know, under the carpet and oh, I struggle with this but I'm not going to share that with anybody because then I won't be accepted in that community. We haven't arrived and actually that has to be okay because we are broken and fallen human beings who've been redeemed through the work of Jesus. So I really, really love this passage because there is absolutely no doubt that to be the best version of you that you can possibly be, the version that you were created to be, here are some clues as to how to be that best version of yourself. Put off and put on. However, we haven't arrived. This comes after chapters 1 to 3. We have to constantly be reminded that it's not through our works and these are as an outworking of the gratitude we have for what Jesus has done. And we don't need to be pretending. We don't need to say, I didn't write that name on the bathroom wall. We can admit it. We can say that we haven't arrived yet. Shakespeare said, oh, what may man hide? Shakespeare is so hard to say. Let me try again. Oh, what may man hide him? Did it again. <laughs> Third time lucky. Ready? Edit this out. Oh, what may man within him hide, though angel on the outward side? May that never be us, that we present this angel, arrived, amazing person, but rather be real and authentic. And it's what Jesus talked about, isn't it? Flip over your Bible to Matthew and we can see this. We could turn to a number of passages where, uh, where Jesus is absolutely slamming this idea that we need to sell that we've arrived. So when we think about um, Jesus and we, when we think about who he might be giving a good old telling off to, we always think of the poor Pharisees. They really cop quite a hard deal but a but a very very appropriate deal 
in Matthew 23, 1 to 12, Jesus is talking to the crowds and he says this, Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. So be careful to do what everything they tell you. So don't, don't reject them or their teaching, but don't do what they do, for they don't practice what they preach. They say, put off this and put on this, and they say they've arrived, but they have not arrived. They tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Everything they do is done for people to see. They make their phylacteries wide and their tassels on their garments long. This is all about what they wear. They love the place of honour at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and to be called rabbi by others. But you are not to be called rabbi for you have one teacher and you are all brothers. This is all level playing field stuff, isn't it? And do not call anyone on earth father for you have one father and he is in heaven. Nor are you to be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Messiah. The greatest among you will be your servant, and for those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. So if we want a key to how to live in this put off and put on in an authentic way, here are two things we can look at. First of all, the values of Southern. The values of Southern are to be accepting, generous, friendly, authentic, compassionate, informal. You went through that process a number of years ago. And authentic has got to be right up there in terms of living that horse and then cart. We have been saved by grace and therefore we are in a process of putting off and putting on. And the other really helpful thing as we look at this putting off and putting on and and aiming not to be hypocritical is at the start of Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4 starts with, As a prisoner of the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy worthy of the calling you have received. I can't read today. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. So as we as we enter church on a Sunday morning, as we talk over morning tea, as we think about those conversations we have in the week, if you catch yourself describing yourself as having arrived, either through insecurity or through a need to be um, showing the very best version of yourself, stop. We haven't arrived. We are grateful recipients of the grace of Jesus, but we haven't arrived. I think I said to you a couple of weeks ago, I'm reading through Dane Ortland's Gentle and Lowly, which is a really beautiful book all about the love and grace of Jesus. And I'm just getting into it, but there's so much in it. I take it slow. You know, those books where you just read that little tiny gem at a time. And what I read this week was um, just a, it's a, made-up story, an analogy, if you like, about uh, how Jesus feels about forgiving us. But not, not necessarily that first forgiveness, but the ongoing, week after week, day after day, moment after moment, forgiveness that he offers. And he, he gives this story. A doctor goes to a remote village with a medicine 
that will cure the disease that is running rampage through a remote village. He's diagnosed correctly, he's brought the medicine with him and he has a selection of simple, simple tablets to hand out to the people in the village. People are dying, people are sick, people are becoming crippled through this terrible disease that's running rampage. But as he goes from hut to hut, he finds the same story over and over again. I don't, I don't want your medicine. We've always dealt with illness this way. That's too simple. That's not going to work. I don't want your medicine. Until two young brave guys, younger men in the village, come up to him and say, we're, we're willing to give that a try. And the author, Dane Ortland, says, how do you think the doctor feels at that moment when someone is willing to accept his medicine? Does he feel resentful? Oh, I guess I'll give you some of the medicine. Or does he feel absolute joy that someone has come to him and said, I really want that cure that you're offering? Well, of course it's the latter. And he says, why would Jesus be any different? When you come to him with that, with that difficult time and time again sin, thinking that he's got this, you know, I've got two vials left. Here it is, but make sure you don't ask again. It's just not like that. That as we go through this process of putting off and putting on, his grace never runs out. And the joy that he feels at being approached for forgiveness, for the cure, is the same every time. He says, when you come to Christ for mercy and love and help in your anguish and perplexity and sinfulness, you are going with the flow of his deepest wishes, not against them. I'm going to read that again. When you come to Christ for mercy and love and help in your anguish and perplexity and sinfulness, you are going with the flow of his deepest wishes, not against them. You don't come to Jesus when you haven't got it all together and he just... You come to Jesus and he says, I'm glad you've come. We haven't made it. We're on our way. We're putting off and putting on, but we do so with patience and grace and with absolutely no need to pretend we're something we're not. Let's uphold each other in that grace and patience and mercy. Let's pray. Father God, we have come to you in communion this morning and given thanks for the cross. And as we finish our service, we give thanks again. You are a magnificent God who stooped low and graciously and generously handed out the cure for our sin. And we are so grateful. Lord, if there are areas in our life where we pretend to be something we're not, for whatever reason, we choose today to say we're sorry for that, that we want to be authentic and vulnerable. We want to be a safe church in every aspect of the word. So show us where we might be doing that Help us to bear with each other in patience and love and grace. And Father, we just want to say thank you. 
that that cure you hand out free of charge to a group of people who desperately need it. We thank you and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Enjoy some morning tea.